it's great to see everybody. God is good. And all the time. Thanks so much for being here on campus, wherever you're at, and those watching online. We are so glad that you're with us. We're kicking off this year. Well, the big idea for the year is courageous, and we're kicking off with a verse that's a theme verse for the year. In fact, this verse, my daughter painted it above my grandson's bed. And you can see it up there. It's the verse that we've been going over. And I'm going to invite you to say this verse with me and mean it with all your heart. Own it. Declare it. Believe this is not just true, but it's true for you. Everybody say it with me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can we give God praise for his word? Amen. I am courageous. I'll tell you, there is something in this place today. <laughs> there really is. I am courageous. Say that with me. I am courageous. Since it's Super Bowl Sunday, before you're seated, look at somebody and tell them, I'm super courageous. Go ahead and do that. I'm super courageous. Super Bowl Sunday. And I heard this story about how the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, how he went to heaven and God was showing him around. And God takes him to this tiny little home that has a faded Chiefs flag hanging in the window. And he says, Patrick, this is your new home. It's very special. Not everyone gets a home up here in heaven. And so Patrick's walking to the front door of his home, and he looks down the block, and there he sees this gigantic three-story red and gold mansion. <laughs> it's got a 50-foot flagpole with this giant 49er flag hang hanging off of it. And Patrick says... God, I don't want to be ungrateful, but why does Jimmy G, the quarterback for the 49ers, I mean, why does he get a better house than me? And God says, Patrick, that's not his house, that's my house. <laughs> Who would have known it? God's a 49er fan. Good grief. Now, you know, you know I'm a big-time Raider fan. But today, I want to be very pastoral, and we invited you to wear your jerseys, so a friend, this friend right over here, he loaned me a jersey to wear for the service. So let me see, with a little help from the tech team, if you guys can help me put this jersey on, oh my, there we go. Here we go. Here we go. It's a little tight in the arms. Amen. <laughs> Super Joe Montana. 
Now, here's the thing. The thing about Super Joe Montana is he played for the 49ers, but he also played for the Chiefs. Pastor Ken's a bridge builder. Because at Cathedral of Faith, everybody is welcome, and all God's people said, Amen. Did you know they're expecting over 100 million people to watch the game a little later today? And there's going to be Super Bowl parties happening all over the Bay Area. In fact, my wife, who is wearing silver and black with her little Raiders lapel, <laughs> we are hosting a party. We've got lots of friends and, and family coming over, and she's making Super Bowl sliders. Now, I'm watching my figures, so I'm only going to eat four <laughs> per quarter. That's all I can promise. But we're having our party. You may be going to a party or hosting a party. Now, imagine you're having your party when all of a sudden a person crashes your party. They weren't invited. They weren't expected. They just come walking through the front door. I'm here. What do you do when someone crashes your party? What do you do when God crashes your party. That's what we're going to look at in Daniel chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 5 as we're continuing to look at one of the most courageous people that we find in the Bible. And the story begins with what I call the handwriting is on the wall. The handwriting is on the wall. Let me set this up for you. At that time, the city of Babylon is under siege. It's surrounded by an enemy army. But the king isn't worried because the walls of Babylon are 300 feet high, 60 feet wide. Nobody can get through them. The river Euphrates runs right through the middle of the city, and so they have enough water and enough food to last them 20 years. The king, even though he's surrounded, he's confident. He's so confident that he decides to throw a party. He invites a thousand of his friends to this party, and do they ever party? What happens in Babylon stays in Babylon. So the music is thumping and girls are dancing and the wine is flowing. Is it ever flowing? Everyone at the party is getting hammered. Well, the king, with all this liquid courage in him, he decides to show how great he really is. And so he sends his servants to go and bring the cups that were stolen from the temple in Jerusalem. Now, they bring those cups, and the king turns these sacred cups into his own personal wine glasses. He passes them around to his friends, and now they're laughing and they're mocking. Drinking out of these cups is like slapping the living God in the face. The night rages on, 
and things get crazier and crazier. There's more debauchery, more defiance, and you can almost see the king raising a toast. Here is to Babylon. Here are to the gods of Babylon, the great Babylon, the wealthy Babylon, the powerful Babylon. We are invincible, the high and mighty Babylon. And in that moment, wham! is the party. Enough is enough. And a mysterious hand, not a body, just a hand shows up in the palace and begins to write on the wall. The Bible says suddenly a human hand was seen writing on the plaster wall of the palace. Enough is enough. Party's over. The handwriting is on the wall. You may have said that yourself or heard somebody say it. That the handwriting is on the wall. This guy's going to get fired. Get him his box. The handwriting's on the wall. Or this relationship is over. Put a fork in it. It's done. The handwriting's on the wall. Or... The chiefs today are going to get a beat down. The handwriting is on the wall. Amen. We use that phrase in our culture, and even in a secular culture, this reminds us of the influence of the Bible. We can't get away from it. It's like cathedral. It's everywhere. The Bible is in our culture. And it can be trusted. The Bible's not based on a true story. It is a true story. Every single word of it. In fact, this story, for many years, critics would point at Daniel chapter 5. And they would say, this is why you can't trust the Bible. The king in the story, his name is Belshazzar. An archaeologist had never found any other evidence that Belshazzar existed. And skeptics would say, it's all a legend. It's all a myth. You can't believe chapter 5. And then in 1853, archaeologists discovered this stone right here. And guess whose name was on it? Belshazzar. And they found out that, well, King Nebuchadnezzar had a son-in-law, Nabonidus, and his oldest son was Belshazzar, and Belshazzar was a co-ruler, a co-regent with his dad. And once again, archaeologists learn the Bible is not inspired by a true story. It is a true story, every single part of it. Can we give God praise for the faithfulness of God's word? And the king, wow, the party's over. And his whole attitude changes. He sobers up really quick. The Bible says, 
The king's countenance has changed. Did it ever? And his thoughts do trouble him. Yes, they do. And the joints of his loins are loosed, and his knees are smiting one against the other. If you have ever said, I was so afraid my knees are knocking, that's right from this story. In fact, I wonder if there's another phrase we use in the hood. The Bible says the joints of his loins are loosed. That's a polite way of saying he was so afraid he lost control of his bowels. In the hood, we say it like this. It scared the, I can't say it, we're in church. But you know what it means. The king is scared to death. And he should be. Because he was about to experience the justice of God. He was a wicked king, an arrogant king. He had sown to the wind, and now he was about to reap the whirlwind. The Bible says God cannot be mocked. But a man sows what he reaps. And this is about to happen to Belshazzar. I don't know about you, but when I hear about God, that he is merciful and he's loving and he's gracious, I want to run toward God. And I want to give him thanks and praise for his love. Can we do that right now? Amen. Hallelujah. But when I hear words like wrath, judgment, and justice, our culture doesn't like those words about God. And even myself, when I hear those words, I want to run away from God and hide under the covers. And yet I have learned over time, as I've thought about this more deeply, to praise him for his mercy and praise him for his justice. Because the justice of God is about making things right. That's why when we go to the movies and at the end of the movie, the bad guys finally get what's coming to them, we cheer. Because justice is about making things right. And so... I've learned to thank God for his justice, that in the right way, at the right time, he will indeed make things right. Somebody needs to know that today, because you're in a situation, and it's not fair, and the bad guys seem to be winning, and evil seems to be victorious, and you need to know that God will not be mocked, Then, at the right way, in the right time, God will make things right in your situation. Let's give God praise for his justice. That is the justice of God. It's assuring. It helps us to be courageous. 
the Bible says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And all God's people said, amen. One more time, let's give God praise for his justice, amen? Let it encourage your heart. God will make things right in your situation. Now that brings us to the next part of the story to focus on, that we can either learn from the past or repeat it. We can learn from it or we can repeat it. There is this Super Bowl commercial where the guy is prepping the field, specifically the end zone, the Chiefs end zone, and he's painting it and... Well, watch the screens. You can see it for yourself. Hey, that's great. But who are the chefs? Not going anywhere for a while. Great. Googly moogly. Grab a Snickers. You spell it. Yeah. Ah, don't you hate when that happens? But we've all made mistakes. The question is, do we learn from them or do we repeat them? What happens in Daniel chapter 5 is the king is in full panic attack mode. He doesn't know what those words mean but the queen mother hears about the commotion and she says, I know a person who can help you out. Send for Daniel. He helped your grandpa. He can help you. So Daniel comes into the palace and he looks at the words and he knows what they mean. And he tells the king, the word mene means numbered. It means king, your days are numbered. The word tekel means weight. It means king, You've been put on the scales and been found to be a lightweight. The word Perez means divided. It means king. Your kingdom is going to be taken away from you and divided among foreign nations. In other words, king, you're finished and your kingdom is through. And little did they know that the armies outside have been diverting the Euphrates River enough to where they could sneak in through the dry bed into the middle of the city. And that very same night, they would go into the palace and kill the king and all of his friends. And that all happened because the king did not learn from the past. You remember his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, he was a powerful man, but powerful men tend to deal with pride. And he was arrogant. And then one day God humbled him. We saw it last week, how he lost his mind, he lost his power, and he roamed the streets like a wild animal for two years. And yet Belshazzar, even though this is his family history, instead of learning from it, his arrogance is even greater than Nebuchadnezzar's. It's way over the top. And Daniel says to Belshazzar, he says, 
You already knew this in your family history, but still you have not made yourself humble. Instead, you've turned against the Lord of heaven. You didn't give honor to the God who has the power over your life and everything that you do. Belshazzar, you didn't learn from the past. You ended up repeating it, and now you're done. And someone just had an aha moment. Because all of a sudden, you look at your family history, and you think, aha. My dad had anger issues. My grandpa had anger issues. And now I have anger issues. Or my grandpa battled substance abuse, and my dad battled substance abuse. And now... I battle substance abuse. Or my grandpa, he was very arrogant, and my dad was very arrogant. And when I look at my life, truth be told, I'm arrogant too. It just seems like it's been passed on from one generation to another generation to another generation. But this is the day to be courageous, to step up and say... My history is not going to determine my future. And by the grace of God, I'm going to learn from the past. And I'm going to change the trajectory of my family. God can help you to learn from the past so you don't have to repeat it. Whether it's your mistakes or from the mistakes of others. One of the greatest examples that we've seen of this in our day is in the life of a late Kobe Bryant. Now, all of us last week were stunned. We're still in shock as a nation. Can't be true. When Kobe and nine other people were were killed in that horrible helicopter crash. But as you've listened to people talk about what an extraordinary man Kobe Bryant was, it was one big reason was because of this, he learned from his mistakes. Early in his career, he had made a horrible mistake. But instead of repeating that mistake over and over and over again and letting it become the norm of his behavior, he stepped up and had the courage to learn from his his mistake and grow from his mistake. And he went on to become... Not only a great basketball player, but a devoted husband and a loving father. And most of all, did you know that Kobe Bryant was a very committed follower of Jesus? Did you know that? Can we give God praise? Amen. That the day of the crash, that morning, do you know what Kobe did? He got up early. Him and his daughter went to church at 7 a.m. in the morning. Wow. Pastor Ken, it's hard for me to get to the 1145 service. (laughs) 7 in the morning, him and his daughter were in church so they could take communion together. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful demonstration of the grace of God changing the trajectory 
of a man. God help us. Help me. Lord, we can be a people who learn and grow from our mistakes. And the best is yet to come. All God's people said. Job chapter 8 verse 8 says this. It says, ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. I am courageous. Say it with me. I am courageous. And then we come to the last moment in the story that, well, Daniel has a reputation that's on the rise. There's a book or there's a a verse in the book of Proverbs that I just love. And the, the verse goes like this. A good name is more desirable than great riches. In fact, would you say that with me? A good name is more desirable than great riches. One more time. A good name is more desirable than great riches. And to be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Now, whenever I read that verse, I can't help it. I always think of my dad. As many of you know, my dad and I were very close and We just had so much fun, and to be able to team together throughout our lives, what a great, great experience I've had. And I was always very grateful for having a dad like that. I know that's not the case with everybody. And I would thank my dad. I mean, my dad did so much for me. He helped me to get my very first car, a 69 Firebird. How cool is that? Well, I'm pretty old. (laughs) 69 fire and then I mean I could go on and on about all the ways my dad blessed me but the thing I thanked him most for was this I said dad thank you for leaving me a good name you've been in this city for a long time people know you but I don't have to run away or hide from your reputation because you have left me a good name. You're respected in this city, and Dad, thank you most for leaving me a good name. Amen? That's our founding pastor. On a side note, dads, the most important thing you can leave your kids is not a pile of cash, although that doesn't hurt. The most important thing you can leave your kids Leave them a good name. Leave them a good name. God, help us to have that kind of name, that kind of reputation. Look at Daniel. When the queen mother is describing Daniel's reputation to the king, look at what she says about Daniel. She says, not only is he wise and intelligent, but he can explain dreams and riddles and solve difficult problems. She says, Daniel has a reputation For being intelligent. If knowledge is power, Daniel's not running on 110. He's running on 220. Academically intelligent. Emotionally intelligent. Spiritually intelligent. If you want to increase the power in your life, knowledge is power. Ask God to increase knowledge in your life. To take you from running on 110 to running on 220. Not only is Daniel intelligent, but he's also wise. He's not just smart, but he's wise. 
And over 39 years of pastoring, here's what I've observed. You can be educated, but you can be an educated fool. You really can if you don't have wisdom. I heard about these four guys that went up in a plane, and the plane started to have trouble, and they needed to bail out. And the problem was they only had three parachutes between them. So the pilot grabbed one of the parachutes, and he, he said, I have a family I have to get back to, and he jumped out of the plane. Another man grabbed a parachute. He said, I am the smartest man in the world. I'm the leader of Mensa, and the world cannot survive without my brain, and he jumped out of the plane. So now two are left. There's an older man and a teenager, and the older man says, you know, son, I've lived a long time. You go ahead and take that last parachute. And the teenager says, don't worry about it. We're okay. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. You can be an educated fool. You really can. And that's why God, give us intelligence, but give us wisdom. We need both. Wisdom is the ability to see life from God's point of view. And that's why this book is so important. Because a textbook will teach you to be smart. But the Bible will teach you to be wise. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Daniel, he's wise and he's intelligent. And he also solves difficult problems. Now, if you lived in that day and you had a rope that was a tangled mess, just all kinds of knots in the rope, and someone came along and untangled those knots, this is the phrase they would use to describe what you did, that you solved a difficult problem. And maybe that's the takeaway you need for the message. Right near the end, you need this takeaway. Because you look at a situation in your life, and frankly, it's a tangled mess. The situation with your kids, or with your finances, or with your career, it's just a tangled mess. But if we go to God and ask God to breathe on us with his spirit and to give us wisdom and knowledge to untie the knot, never underestimate what God can do in your life. By the grace of God, see that mess getting untangled. Hallelujah! Victory is in the air. I am courageous. Say that with me. And now, what a reputation. God help us to have that kind of reputation. And of course, Daniel was courageous. 30 years earlier, he had spoken truth to power. But when he did it, his knees were knocking and his voice was shaking. The Bible says he was terrified. But this time when he speaks truth to power, it seems like there's a new level of boldness in him. It doesn't say he was terrified. 
And if you were to ask me, Pastor Ken, I really want to have courage and grow courage. How can I do it? Here's the key. Every time you face a decision, some of you, everybody lock in on this. Some of you are going to face a decision this week. And you can either walk away from it and not have courage, or you can engage it and demonstrate courage. And every time you choose to be courageous, it's becoming more and more a part of your nature and your character until eventually you get to a place where courage becomes more than what you do, it becomes who you are. I am courageous. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's give God praise for his word. Thank you, God, for your word, which makes us courageous. Everybody stand with me, please, and let's lock in. Uh, close your eyes for just a moment. Boy, the presence of God is strong in this place today. Just stay locked in for a minute. If you'd say, Pastor Ken, you know, I, I know about Jesus. I've heard about Jesus, but I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. But I want to do it today. See, all of us, you know, our number is going to be up at some point. But I want to be ready to meet God. And I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done. And I want to surrender my life to him. Would you lift up your hand real high and say, Pastor Ken, that's me today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Go up in the balcony and say, that's me, man, right over here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Say, Pastor Ken, um, today I'm facing a situation where the bad guys seem to be winning. And I need to have courage that God is going to make things right you lift up your hand and that's where you're at just in your life you're in a situation it's not fair bad guys seem to be winning and then how many would say I'm in a situation where it's just a tangled mess an absolute tangled mess with my kids it's just all knotted up and I need God to give me wisdom and intelligence to help untie that knot lift up your hand real high and say pastor Ken that's me I want to ask you one more question. How many would say, Pastor Ken, there's a mistake that I've made? You know, maybe your grandfather never apologized and your dad never apologized. And now you're not sure why, but you never apologize. But you would say, there's a mistake that I made. I had an aha moment. And I believe that God not only forgives, but he can change the trajectory of my future. That my future is going to be different by the grace of God. Lift up your hand real high if that's what God's spoken to you about today. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Father, for all of these wonderful people here at Cathedral of Faith. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray that you would watch over them. I pray, God, that you would grant them favor and strength and courage and that victory is on the way. What the enemy means for evil, you can turn it around and make it good. For Jesus' name and Jesus' glory, all God's people said amen and amen. Hallelujah.